on. So good morning to those of you who are watching on Facebook Live. Uh, I hope you're enjoying the weather in the, in the comfort of your home. But there are people here today. Can you make noise and say hello? Hello. hello. Yeah. So there are people who made it out today. But those of you who are watching on Facebook, uh, please leave us a comment. Leave us feedback. We love to know uh, if it's good or if it's not good or it needs improvement or something. But we don't know if you don't give us feedback. So please let us know and share the feed with people, and that would be wonderful. Thank you for those of you who are doing that already, and welcome to those of you who are here. Thank you for coming out, and thank you, Justin, and, and, and uh, I was going to say Jason, Justin, and Joshua, and David, and the musicians, and you knew the weather was coming, but you came out anyway. So God bless you guys, and thank you for participating today and serving today. So we continue in the Lord's Prayer, and this whole thing teach us to pray. Imagine if you were Jesus and you got that question, teach us to pray. Wow, you would, be, you, would, you would be ready for an answer. And Jesus, of course, gave them an answer. And we've been looking at this for the last number of weeks. The very, very famous and sometimes very hard to understand Lord's Prayer. So if you remember, we talked about praying with persistence from the first week, right? And, and then we talked about when Jesus said, don't pray this way. And he talked about different ways that people should not pray. And then he gets into the actual prayer. And we talked about how you're to start with God. We often don't start with God. And oftentimes we pray the Lord's Prayer in the exact same way that Jesus said not to pray. So we just kind of babble the prayer as if it's some kind of a magic thing when it really isn't. It's more of a model than a, than a magic prayer. And he, Jesus starts the prayer with our Father in heaven. And we talked about the significance of that term using our Father, which would have been a very rare way to speak of God. But he's also in heaven, right? Imminent and transcendent. And you can, you can re-listen to that uh, on our website or on Facebook, whatever way you choose there or even on iTunes now. Um, we talked about this term, hallowed be your name. Remember who you're talking to. Uh, to be hallowed means to be separated, holy. This kind of thing is being, is being spoken of here. And then this phrase, your kingdom come, your will be done on earth as it is in heaven, how we're to discipline ourselves to the priorities of God first before our own and what that means and what that does not mean, right? When, when Jesus says, your will be done on earth as it is in heaven, he doesn't mean I want the same circumstances on earth as they are in heaven. No, he's talking about the way the will of God gets done. In heaven, it gets done without, without blockage, without impedance, without resistance. Uh, Jesus uh, uh, continues and he says, give us this day our daily bread. And we talked about that. Uh, last week, this idea of basic sustenance, this idea that he's saying, you know, we're, we're, we're asking God for something today that we need today. Uh, even that word daily, we talked about that, how it's a bit of a mysterious word. Uh, you ask God for what you need, not what you want. And you ask God for what you need today, today. So today, we're going to get into the sixth part. Next week will be the end of it. Um, and this is probably the hardest part uh, today. Last week was give us, and today is going to be forgive us. And this would be the most difficult part of the, the Lord's Prayer if you really take it seriously and if you really 
take into consideration what Jesus is teaching. And so he says in Matthew 6, for example, um, forgive us our debts. Uh, some of your Bibles may say trespasses there. Forgive us our debts or our trespasses as we have forgiven our debtors. Have you heard the Lord's Prayer sung before? Usually when it's, when it's sung, it's forgive us our debts as we forgive our debtors because it's easier to sing. But some translations will use trespasses there. Some will use debts there as we have forgiven our debtors. Uh, and lead us not into temptation, but deliver us from the evil one. And then some Bibles will say, for yours is the kingdom and the power and the glory forever and ever. Amen. And then we end the Lord's Prayer. The problem with ending the Lord's Prayer there is that the Lord's Prayer doesn't really end there because in verse 14, uh, Jesus actually continues it and it gets worse for us because he says in verse 14, for if you forgive men when they sin against you, so he uses that word sin there, your heavenly Father will also forgive you, but if you do not forgive men their sins, your father will not forgive your sins. Wow, there is a lot to consider here and a lot of problems with this when you start thinking about it. You know, we try to escape it and we try to say, well, you know, maybe debts is not really talking about sin or, you know, trespasses. Maybe he's not really talking about that. But of course, he reiterates the point in verses 14 and 15. Then maybe we try to turn to Luke's version of it, and Luke uses the same term, sin, when someone sins against you. So the whole, the whole problem with this is it causes a condition in our, in our understanding. I mean, what is Jesus saying here? Is he saying, wow, you know, um, we can ask God to forgive us our sins, but he's not going to do that unless we forgive other people when they sin against us. You say, well, what does that mean? Does that mean that I can't be saved? Does that mean my whole framework of salvation, my whole understanding of what it means to be a Christian is actually based on works now? It's based on the work of forgiveness. So if I work to forgive, then I can be forgiven. I mean, what is Jesus talking about here? This is really a scary, scary passage if you take it as it's intended it seems to be wow this is all of a sudden we're we're in a we're in a big pickle here and so what we have to do is we have to try and understand okay what does he really mean these arguments that we use and we say okay now our salvation is a conditional thing this is not what's being taught here if you, if you look at the whole context of the Lord's Prayer and you look, it's buried in this massive Sermon on the Mount, what he's talking about is this is the life of the follower of Jesus. This is what a disciple does. This is the way a disciple lives. So a disciple is not just someone who, well, you know, I prayed a prayer of salvation one day on a Sunday morning in some nice little church that meets in a hotel. That's not a disciple, okay? A disciple is a person who says, well, I want to be a follower of Jesus. And what does all of this entail? And this kind of stuff that he's talking about in the Lord's Prayer and really the whole Sermon on the Mount, he's teaching about discipleship. He's teaching about this is what it means to be a follower 
of God and really a follower of Jesus. And so he sets up a condition here. So he says, forgive us our debts as we forgive our debtors. If you forgive men when they sin, your father will forgive you. If you do not, he will not. There is a condition. And this causes great angst for us because, wow, it puts us under all of this, this pressure. What is being spoken of here is not your salvation itself. It's how much are you really a disciple? How much are you really living the life that Christ called you to live? And if you're going to live that way, then forgiveness is going to be part of your lifestyle. And it's interesting that he puts it right after, give us this day our daily bread. So he goes from bread to forgiveness. <laughs> and uh, it's, it's a curious thing, but I, I think I know the, the reason why. Uh, and I'll do it in the form of a survey today. Have any of you ever had somebody sin against you or trespass you, or they put you in a position where they owe you in that sense? They sinned against you, they wronged you, they faulted you. Put your hand up if that's true. In your whole human experience, someone has done something wrong to you and you have been wronged. Is this true? Okay, I'll ask it another way. Have any of you never been wronged in this room by somebody else? Okay, that's what I thought. It appears to be a common experience for humanity that we are wronged by somebody else. Uh, how many of you have been wronged by somebody else more than once? More than twice, more than three times. Yeah, you, you, your hands should be going up like this, right? It's a common experience in humanity. Now, I'm going to ask the question another way, and this requires even more honesty. And those of you watching on Facebook, you can be honest as well. Leave us comments. How many of you have sinned against somebody else, and you have trespassed against somebody else, and you have done something wrong to somebody else? Yeah, your hand goes up there too. Wow, so this is a really common experience both ways. So we're on the receiving end of it. We're on the giving end of it. No wonder Jesus addresses this in the Lord's Prayer. It is a common experience. Now, you all are church people. Oh, so you have, you have a, special, a special niche. Even some of you who are, you know, relatively new to church, you're... You, you, it's amazing how churchy you get how, and how quickly you get churchy. But what happens in, in churches is even different because Christian people or people who, you know, attend church and, you know, they're able to sort of adapt to the, the, the church culture and all of that, regardless maybe of what they believe, they, they tend to have an expectation of these people who call themselves Christians. So the expectation is the Christians are supposed to behave better. So they're not supposed to, you know, do this and this and this and this to me like I experienced from the so-called non-Christian people. And so we naively think that Christians are incapable <laughs> of sinning against other people. How many of you ever had a churchgoer sin against you? Yeah, so when that happens, it, it ha there's a little bit of an extra bite to it, isn't there? Because you didn't expect it from that person, 
they're supposed to do what Jesus, they're, supposed, they're like, wow, that's, that's unexpected. Now, when you're a pastor, you observe this over and over and over again. I have seen Christians do things to one another that, I mean, I'm at the point now after, you know, 20 plus years in church leadership and almost 20 of them as a, as a you know, professional Christian pastor, if you will, I'm at the point where I've seen everything. Nothing surprises me anymore. And I've realized that even church-going folk are capable of just as much nastiness as non-church-going folk. And when you're on the receiving end of it, uh, it's a bit startling when you experience it in the church, but it appears to be a common experience amongst all of you, and no wonder Jesus uh, addresses it. And so what he's saying here is that the lifestyle of the Christ follower, in, it, it has to live and breathe forgiveness. And it is so important that you're setting up a block between you and God you're creating tension in your communion with God if you do not practice the discipline of forgiveness when other people sin against you. And he's not saying when a Christian sins against you, when a non-Christian sins against you, he doesn't give the detail. It's just this is the lifestyle of the disciple. We are about the business of forgiveness because we don't want to set up a block between us and God. Again, he's not getting into, you know, this debate uh, that's popular amongst, amongst Christians, whether or not a person can lose their salvation and so on. He's not getting into that. I don't think this is being discussed here. But for sure, you can create a tension in your walk with God if you do not forgive. And he warns two times here, and you see it in Luke as well. So this is, this is conditional for the disciple. Now, uh, if you have been wronged and if you have been hurt and if you have experienced it or even done it to other people, uh, but especially if you've experienced it, you know that forgiveness is not easy. I mean, how many of you would say, oh yeah, it comes really easy to forgive when other people have hurt me? Not so easy. Uh, the question is, why? Why is it so difficult to forgive? Um, and we see example after example after example of this, even as we look at the modern world and the modern culture. We just have to survey the news. You see story after story of things like this. Why is it so difficult to forgive? And I want to give you uh, uh, three reasons this morning. Number one, uh, and this is the most important one, it's based on a misunderstanding of what forgiveness really is. When, if you were to try and define it uh, the way it's people typically think of forgiveness and especially in the culture at large, what do you hear? What is forgiveness? If you were to boil it down to just a few words or even one word, what would it be? Pardon me? Forgetting, that's, that's exactly what I, what I wanted to hear. Yeah, so, so people say, well, if you've forgiven, then you've forgotten. So to forgive is to forget. People say that. W what else? She gave the right answer. It's the wrong answer, but the right answer. You'll, you'll see why in a minute. Yeah. 
What else do you hear when people think about forgiveness in the culture at large? Let's say, let's say someone at the workplace offends you and they come up to you and they say, you know, I'm sorry I said this or whatever. I could tell it really bothered you. What do we typically say in response? It's okay. Yeah, that's what we say. We say it's okay. So he's forgetting. It's okay. What else? What's the other thing that we say? Starts with N. It was blank. N. It was nothing. Right? So that, what we're doing there is we're saying forgiveness is forgetting. Forgiveness is condoning. And forgiveness is ignoring. So it was nothing. So, ah, well, it doesn't, didn't really, it was nothing. When inside it was something. You, you just say it was nothing because you want to give the impression that it didn't hurt you, but it did hurt you. And when you say it's okay, well, what you're doing is you're condoning it and you're saying it's okay. <laughs> I've, I've preached on this before in this church. When we say it's okay, guess what the person will do the next time they have the opportunity? The exact same thing. Do you know why? Because you told them it was okay. So they're going to do it again. You just told them it was okay. Or, or you say, uh, you know, well, it, you know, forgive, we forget. When to, to forgive is to forget. All of those are a clear misunderstanding of what forgiveness is. Uh, I don't know if you have tried to forget, uh, but it doesn't work. <laughs> In fact, the more you try to forget what the individual or individuals did to you, the more it gets seared into your memory. The opposite happens. So you think to yourself, well, I must be a really bad Christian because if forgiveness is forgetting, I'm getting worse. <laughs> I, must be really, I must be really off, you know, what God wants me to be because I can't forget. I'll, I will never forget uh, what those people did to me. Um, I was reading an article uh, this week. A lady in, in Montreal lives in, in the Côte St. Luke area. She's 100 years old, just turned 100, and she looks, I don't know, she looks about 80, uh, but she's 100 years old, still plays cards with her friends, and a Holocaust survivor. And uh, they were interviewing her, and she was telling her story, and she said, I will never, ever forgive what they did. Never. And she had members of her family slaughtered in front of her. I mean, horrific experience. And she said, I will never, ever forgive them for what they've done. And you read the article, though, and it, it could be, I, I, wouldn't, I wouldn't presume to speak for her, but it could be that she will never forget what they did to her. But the way that she lives her life, she lives her life as if she's forgiven them. Uh, but she uses a different word. It's interesting because she lives in a very free and very healthy and very non-bitter fashion. And yet at the same time, she will say, I will never ever forgive what they have done to me. Could be that she's saying, I will never forget. But forgiveness and forgetting are different things. You will never forget what they did to you. And you can't say it's okay when it's not okay. And you can't say it's nothing when it's something. Those are all misconceptions of what forgiveness is, at least if you go by the Bible's understanding. Um, and the best way that I can, I can define it for you really quickly 
is from a passage in the book of Romans, uh, which Paul, Paul drops in there in his big, big letter to these people. Um, forgiveness, I'll put it in my own words, is when you, you give up your right for personal vengeance. That's what forgiveness is. You give up your right, it is your right, to personally take vengeance on that person or those people. So they wronged you. What they did to you was wrong. Yes, indeed, it was wrong. Yes, they deserve to face consequences. Yes, they deserve to be judged for what they did, etc., etc. But you are releasing your right to personally mete out those consequences in that judgment. You are giving up your right to do that. So Paul puts it to the Romans this way. He says, um, Romans, uh, what is it, chapter 12, verses 17 to 21. He says, do not repay anyone evil for evil. So they did evil to you, don't repay them with evil. Be careful to do what is right in the eyes of everybody, presumably also those who did evil to you. If it is possible, as far as it depends on you, live at peace with everyone. Again, presumably those who did evil to you. Do not take revenge, my friends. This is the heart of forgiveness. Do not take revenge, my friends, but leave room for God's wrath. Wow. For it is written, and he quotes from, from the Old Testament, it is mine to avenge, I will repay, says the Lord. Wow. And he says, on the contrary, again, quoting from the Old Testament, if, you're, if your enemy is hungry, let him starve. No, <laughs> if, if your enemy is hungry, watch him beg you for food and watch him die. No, if your enemy is hungry, feed him. Give him something to eat. If your enemy is thirsty, don't give him a drop of what Let your enemy just die of dehydration. After all, they did that to you. They deserve to dehydrate. If your enemy is thirsty, give him something to drink. Wow. In doing this, in doing this, you will heap burning coals on his head. Do you see? And he's quoting there from the, from the Proverbs here. So again, if your enemy is hungry, your enemy is thirsty, your, your vengeance says, let them starve, let them die of dehydration. Forgiveness says, give them something to drink, give them something to eat. And in doing this, the result on them will be for them like you're putting burning coals on their head. It's a proverb. He's saying, you really want to, you really want to behave in a way that your enemy doesn't expect? You give them something to eat and drink when they're hungry and thirsty. And you, you will drive them crazy. It'll be like putting coals on their head. It is a total counterintuitive of what we're used to. And verse 21, do not be overcome by evil. These, ev these people did evil to you. Do not be overcome by evil, but overcome evil with good. So you're releasing your right to personally get even. You have the right to do it. You would be justified in doing it. You would be right to do it. But you're saying, no, I am not going to do it. I'm going to give up my right to get even. And I will trust that God will do that. 
I will trust that him in his whole sovereign plan of everything, he is going to mete out those consequences his way over time, but I am not going to get personally involved in it. And when you do this, this is forgiveness. This, this is a different way of defining it than the way that we define it as a culture, but I think we misunderstand. That's our problem. Number two, um, hatred, the opposite of forgiveness. Hatred is powerful. Hatred is very, very powerful. Forgiveness is not, is not powerful in the sense that um, when you hate, you can, you can control and you can have power over somebody else. At least you think you can. Uh, forgiveness gives you power over yourself. Hatred gives you power over others. And if you, if you don't think this is true, just look at the condition of our world today. Um, just look at our neighbors down to the south, all right? That nation is so polarized. There is so much anger and so much hatred floating around in the United States. They're the closest to us, like geographically, I suppose. So, and we seem to be more interested in U.S. politics than our own Canadian politics. I mean, I listen to the conversations that people have at the gym and at the, at the, the food bank and the thrift store. And even though you've got the, the, current, the current, you know, prime minister embroiled in a, in a pretty hot scandal, people want to talk more about U.S. politics. And, and they're angry when they talk about it. And the, 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 the two different sides couldn't be more, more polarized against one another. And there's so much hatred. You look at the, at the way uh, social media is lit up with comment after comment after comment. It's so angry and so hateful because there is a strange sense of power in hatred. It makes people feel like they're stronger than somebody else. It gives people control over other people. I mean, look at racism. Just think of racism as an example. What a foolish and what an idiotic thing to demean another human being because of the color of their skin, their ethnicity, their religious view, their sexual identity, whatever it is, to demean another human being because of that. I mean, that is, just take, just take racism as one thing, just when you're talking about the color of someone's skin. What a foolish, what an illogical, what an irrational thing to live under. But racism is alive and very, very, very well. Even in our nation, even in our province. Imagine looking at someone else's skin and demeaning them as if your skin is any better. You know, you take that person who may be white, who demeans someone who is quote unquote black, and you take that white person and you go and airlift that person and dump them in a nation where they're the minority now. They're, they're, they may start looking at life a little bit differently. I mean, what a foolish and an idiotic thing. What an illogical and an irrational, uh, irrational thing to do. But why do people do it? Because hatred is powerful. You have power over others, or at least the illusion of power over others when you have hatred. When you have forgiveness, 
you have power only over yourself. And what you do when you forgive is you release yourself from wanting perpetual personal vengeance against that person who hurt you. You see, you free yourself when you forgive, but when you hate, you have power over others, or at least you think you do. And this makes it very, very difficult because, and this is the third part of the problem, our instinct is, of course, to get even. It is not instinctive to forgive. I have met very, very few people who instinctively forgive and instinctively do what Jesus says to do here, to forgive because if you want God to forgive you, you better forgive, and it's a lifestyle. I have met very, very few people who instinctively are like that, and maybe, maybe you know some who, who, who are like that, but probably you're thinking to yourself, I can't, I can't think of one person that I've ever met who instinctively forgives, because instinctively we want retribution. Instinctively we want justice, and we want to be the one to pull the trigger, so to speak. Uh, maybe it gives us more satisfaction if the person personally suffers at our hands and we think that, that is, that's the way that we're going to be happy. It's not the way you're going to be happy. It's the way you're going to be miserable. When you forgive, you release yourself from all of that pain. You cannot control the other person, you, the other people, you can only control you. And if you want that perpetual sense of vengeance, that's a lot, a lot of work. I don't know if you've, if you've walked down, those, down those, those miles before, but that's a lot of work to continually pursue that vengeance against that person from a personal standpoint. I don't know if any of you have ever been the victim of crime before or violent crime, but imagine if you were, and imagine perpetually pursuing individual retribution and vengeance against that person who committed that crime against you. That is a lot of work. That's going to take a lot of your time. That's going to take a lot of your life. That's going to eat into major parts of your heart and your life if you do that. Some people, it doesn't matter. They will continue to do it. They will continue to do it. And it's going to drive them crazy. And sometimes the person who committed the crime has a great big smile on their face while the victim is hunting them down for the pursuit of personal justice, vengeance, and a vendetta. Why, why then? Does yeah. So just make sure it's coming through on, um, on Facebook. Just put the headphones on so the people can hear it. Um, why do we? Wow, I sound like a rock star. Yeah, I like that. I often, I often joke, wow, that's even better. I often joke that my voice is a lot like Shaggy on Scooby-Doo. Remember Scooby-Doo? And Shaggy and Scooby? Well, I, I was born with a Shaggy voice, okay? So... Yeah, as long as it's coming through into Facebook, just make sure of that, okay, Joshua? Um, and thank you. Um, yeah, if you, if you continue to pursue that, it's going to eat away at major, major parts of your life. And you may never get it. You may never get it in this life. You may never get that justice that you're looking for at your hands. So what can you do? You can say, well, you know what? I will release 
that right that I have, and I will give that matter over to God. It doesn't mean that you have to go and pursue that person that, that did whatever to you and that you have to have lunch with them. <laughs> when, when Paul says, is your enemy is your enemy hungry? Is your enemy thirsty? Again, this is a, he's quoting from a proverb here. The idea being that if hypothetically that person were, you know, hanging from a cliff, as it were, and you had the chance to remove their little fingers from the cliff, you had the chance to pull the trigger, so to speak. You had the chance to watch them starve. You had the chance to watch them dehydrate. You would do the opposite. You would give them the food. You would give them the water. Why? Because when you do that, it's you who is set free from the pain that they caused against you. It's you. And that's the first, uh, the first goal of forgiveness is it sets the person's heart free. And what happens? You are enabling God to do the same for you. But when you hold that person by the neck emotionally, and you will not let them go. And you will not give up that right. It is a right that you have to pursue that kind of personal justice. If you will not give it up, what you're doing is you're impeding God to work in your life the same way. Because at the end of the day, all of us need forgiveness. All of us, at least from a survey in this room, all of us have committed sin against others, and all of us have been sinned against. So it is the toughest part, uh, in my view, of the Lord's Prayer, and a very, you know, it's, it's very hard to get around. It's very hard to run around. It is, as they say, uh, what it is. We're going to, to finish next week uh, with the last part of it, lead us not into temptation, but deliver us from the evil 